Good morning, River Bend. It is uh, great to be with you. Uh, so good to see some of the faces that I know, and uh, good to meet some new friends this morning. Uh, my name is Jay Atkins, and I am the pastor of students and families at LifePoint in Senatobia. And uh, it is so good to be with you uh, and hear all that God is doing here at River Bend. Uh, I am so encouraged, uh, whether it's coming off of Disciple Now or planning for an international mission trip or looking at ways to, to minister in your community and even uh, able to minister to one another through small groups. Uh, just tons of things that God is doing here at River Bend, and uh, it's just encouraging to be with you and to hear some of those things that are going on. This morning, we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 9. The title of my sermon this morning is The Cost of Being Born Again. And uh, this, is a, this is a passage from the book of Luke that is tremendous. There are tons of things that are happening, and I want to try to set the context for us some uh, this morning before we really dive into the text. So if you have your Bibles, please join me in Luke 9. I'm just going to go through just some different headings just to, just to kind of just give us a snapshot of some of the things that, that Jesus is doing in this particular chapter. We see here Jesus sending out the 12 apostles. He's equipping, he's equipped them, and now he's empowering them, and he's sending them out. Not only that, uh, he has kind of a kind of exchange with Herod. Uh, Herod is perplexed by Jesus. Then we see where Jesus is teaching, and he feeds uh, close to 20,000 people. One of the, one of the miracles that Jesus uh, performs is included in Luke 9. Then we talk about a little interchange between Peter and Jesus. And we talk about taking up your cross and following Jesus and what that is like. And we're going to actually kind of come back to that portion at the end of our time together this morning. Uh, we have the transfiguration, which is, we could camp out there for weeks. But, but what, what is happening here is Jesus is transitioning into ministry, and now he is setting his sights on Jerusalem. And one of the things that is so interesting about Jesus is him being the Son of God and him being perfect in all of his ways as he makes this transition to head towards Jerusalem, one of the things that we have to keep in mind is that he, if he had wavered at any point, if he had, if he had decided to, to take a step over here and go this direction, he would have sensed to have been Jesus. It would have been sin on his part. And so every step that Jesus is making throughout his life is leading to this point, which is leading him to Jerusalem, which will ultimately lead to the week of passion, his crucifixion, his death on the cross, and then him being placed in a grave, and then him overcoming death and, and rising from that and overcoming death so, so that we have that opportunity in our lives as well. So it's important as we think through this that we see how important these different steps along the way in the life of Jesus truly is. So as we look at Luke 9, we want to come in and we want to discuss the cost of following Jesus. Now, before we read the text, I just want to talk a little bit more about the introduction to this because there is so much that is going on and so much that he's going to communicate with these followers of his in these few verses. As I think about the title of this sermon, The, the Cost of Being Born Again, one of the things that I am reminded of is that salvation is for the world. And we see this in a couple of different places in Scripture. John 3.16 very popular verse, probably one of the most popular verses. You see it at football games. You see it at soccer games. 
We all know that for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Again, as we think about salvation being for the world, let's also think about Hebrews chapter 2, verse 9. This is a great account of salvation. It says, But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. And then one of my favorites in Pastor Steve, I think he, he mentioned this as he was leading us in a time of, of, of music and worship. Romans 5.8, But God shows His love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I'm also reminded in Romans 6.23, where it says, The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So this idea of salvation and this idea of salvation being a free gift is important as we think about the cost of being born again. Because in, in many ways... From the text, we see salvation being a free gift, and that certainly is true. But the cost of following Jesus, the cost of being born again, literally encompasses our very lives. Oftentimes, I encounter people that they want to focus on this free gift, and rightfully we should. I can't think of a time in my life that I ever received a gift where it was then taken from me. So salvation is a free gift. But again, we have to understand this as we, as we think about this cost of being born again. What does it demand of us? What does it demand of us as individuals? You see in Matthew chapter 7, the Sermon on the Mount, Christ talks a little bit about this. He says that you are to enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. So today, as we think about this cost of following Jesus, let's look at the text, and I'm going to give you three observations from this text that we can really spend some time unpacking this morning. Read with me in verse 57. It says, And as they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, Follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. And Father, we thank you so much for this morning. God, we thank you that you are here with us. God, and I just want to pray for our time now. Lord, may these next few moments bring you ultimate glory, honor, and praise. And Father, I pray for each individual person that is here. God, I pray for the families that are represented. Father, I pray for the students that are here. Maybe their families aren't here. Uh, But Lord, we trust and we know that you know each of our circumstances. Lord, you know each of our situations. Lord, I pray that your word this morning, through the power and the presence of your Holy Spirit, would minister to our hearts, 
God would minister to our very lives. And Father, I pray that as we unpack these verses, Lord, that we are greatly challenged in our walk with you. Father, we love you. And God, we thank you for your son. We thank you for his death and his resurrection. God, we thank you for salvation that is offered through him and by him and in him. God, may our lives bring you glory, honor, and praise. Father, help us to see ourselves as you see us. And Father, even now we ask that your Holy Spirit would begin to draw us, God, to yourself. Father, these words are written directly to us. May they minister to us now in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we think through a couple of opportunities that we see with this text, the first observation that I want to give you this morning is that following Christ means that you have surrendered your life to him. You see, in these occasions that we see in these few verses, these are individuals that are, that they are, they are following Jesus. They are, they are verbally saying that they're following Jesus, and in some regards, they are physically following Jesus. But Jesus begins to ask them some questions that are very penetrating. Penetrating to them, it should be penetrating to us as individuals. He uses the phrase in verse 57 that I think is very encouraging and challenging. He says that as they were going, that word going in the Greek, it means to move from one place to another with the possible implication of continuity. And it also means that they're going to be traveling a great distance. And the reason that this phrase is important and the reason that this should be significant to us is as individuals, as followers of Jesus Christ, if we profess to be born again, one of the things that, that we must recognize in our life, whether we are here today and you are an executive, or you are here today and you are a plumber, or you are here today and you are a doctor, or you are here today and you are a mom or a father, that as we go, as we go, our lives should be filled with spreading the good news of Jesus Christ. It's not just when we are in the confines of the church. It's not just when we are in our connect groups. It is what we do after this service. It is what we do at 8 a.m. on Monday mornings. It is how we live our lives throughout the course of the week before we come together again on Wednesdays or next Sunday. So just as they were going along, you see, as they're going along, Jesus takes this opportunity to teach these followers. And as we think about as we go along throughout our lives daily, moment by moment, how are our lives not only demonstrating the gospel, but how are we verbally sharing the good news of Jesus Christ? A question that we can ask ourselves, does our life reflect to others that we travel with Jesus? how we live, how we interact with individuals. Does our life reflect that we're traveling with Jesus? Are we walking with Him? What does it really mean for us as individuals to walk with Jesus? Could you, could you give a response to that? Could you, could you answer that? Could you flesh that out? What does it look like in your personal life to walk with Jesus? One of the things that, that I know is true is that in John chapter 1 we get a clear account of Jesus being the Word of God. 
You know, and, and, I, and I understand, and, and this, this, this drum is probably beat to death in many regards, but it is going to be impossible to faithfully walk with Jesus if we're not faithfully in His Word. One of the things that, that, I, tell, that I tell families and I tell students a lot, and I have to tell this to myself daily, is that I will not be able to follow Jesus if I am not in His Word. I will not be able to grow in my relationship with Him if I am not in His Word. Look back in those verses. It says, as they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. You know, I, th- I think about different individuals that I have admired in my life. You know, whether it's, whether it's recent or, or even whenever I was much younger. And I, and I think about, I think about maybe it's a conversation with that individual. And I would, I would, maybe I would say something like what they said to Jesus. I will follow you wherever you go. It's easy to say that in this season of life for Jesus. He's not, he's not to Jerusalem yet. He, he, he's, not, he's not about to be beaten. He's not about to be put on the cross. It's easy for this to be said. This, this follow in the Greek, it is to accompany someone who takes the lead in determining direction and route of movement. You see, when, when you guys come on board here, at Riverbend, one of the things that you are saying is you're saying, I trust the leadership of Riverbend. You guys are saying that I understand your vision. I was talking with some of the guys earlier and talking with Brian last week, and he was explaining to me he'd been going through the book of Revelation, and then he was t- taking the last few Sundays to really talk about the vision of Riverbend. You guys, just like these disciples were telling Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. That's, that is essentially how, as a member of a church, that you should view your leadership. And, and it should be not this blind following. It should be because you have interceded for your leaders, because you have prayed for them, because you have fasted for them. You desire to follow them in their vision for this church. Just as we should desire to follow Jesus. And because leadership in this church and leadership back at my home church at LifePoint, we, we desire to follow Jesus because we recognize that we are helping lead our congregation. So just like these individuals said that they will follow Jesus wherever He goes, the thing that we have to understand is who are you following or who are we following with our lives right now, today? I was an executive with FedEx for about 10 years and in those 10 years, there was, a lot of, there was a lot of different things that happened in my life. One of the things that was, was so perplexing for me is, is my flesh had this desire to, to, to climb this corporate ladder, to do whatever I had to do to achieve corporate success with FedEx. And there was a point in place in time where, where that following began to interfere with me following Christ. And it was unusual, but it was refreshing, especially now that I'm kind of on the other end of that. As I think back to in so many ways how I probably chose and made decisions that satisfied my flesh in many of those situations, but it was wonderful to see how God worked in my life and began to draw me into a deeper understanding that if I'm going to follow Him, that should affect how I lead when I am outside of the church. So as we think about following following Jesus, 
right now, just as individuals, who would you say, and again, this is just rhetorical, but who would you say that you follow? Students, you know, being able to work with students is a privilege and an honor. But I have a lot of conversations with many students, and one of the things that, that, they, that they can attest to in their lives is that oftentimes they are following, they are, they are following individuals that really have little to do with a spiritual walk with God. They're consumed with the current trends. They're consumed with things that, that really are not pointing people to the Lord. They're not pointing people to His church. And if I'm really honest with myself, probably a years five, six, and seven, whenever I was at FedEx, there was, began to be this, this, this inner turmoil in my life where God was telling me that I was too focused on the things that were temporary, and I was not focused enough on the things that were eternal. So, River Ben, my question for you is, individually, who would you say that you follow? If you claim to be a believer in Jesus Christ, do you follow Him? Do you guys recognize that in the New Testament alone, there's probably four or five accounts that talk about believing in Jesus, but there are over 20 accounts that talk about following Him. You see, I think sometimes in church culture, and this is just church culture in general, we fall in love with this, with this belief in Jesus, but there's really no desire to follow Him. So that's what we've got to ask ourselves this morning. If we were to stand up here and give a testimony, how would we be able to testify what our life looks like following Him? Following Him in His endeavors. Following Him in His plan for River Bend, in His plan for evangelizing the lost and his plan for ministering in our communities and his plan for, for going beyond just this community, go, going beyond our nation. That's one thing why I love hearing that you guys are, are having an informational meeting about going internationally. That is so, so encouraging. You say, if you, if you follow the Lord, you will keep his commands. If you follow Him, you will keep His commands. Matter of fact, John 14, 15 says that if, if you love Me, you will keep My commands. So here's a couple of commands, Old Testament style, bringing it to light in the New Testament. Commandment number 6 says in Exodus twenty thirteen that you shall not murder. Now as we think about Jesus' account in Matthew, he says that you have heard that it was said to those of old you shall not murder and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. I can be honest. You know, there have certainly been times in my life and even in my ministry where, where I have been angry with a brother. And as I think about this whole following Jesus... And how, like, whenever I'm angry with someone, how those two points collide. It's almost, it's, it's a, it's, it's almost like a, a point of friction. It's, it's a crisis of belief. It's like, if I'm going to be angry with someone, and I'm going to say that I'm following Jesus, there's got to be a resolution here. So maybe you're here today, and maybe you, you have an offense towards a brother. Maybe you're here this morning, 
And maybe you're prompted by the Holy Spirit to, to reach out to that brother or that sister and right that wrong or, or try, to, try to resolve that conflict with that individual as you desire to follow him, as your life has been surrendered to him. Here's another one. You shall not commit adultery. Exodus 20, 14, seventh commandment. Jesus says, you have heard that it was said that you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you, everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. I was doing some research this week. One of the filters that I use for all of my all of my devices that have access to the internet is Covenant Eyes. Covenant Eyes says that 68% of men view pornography on a regular basis, and about 18% of women. They also had a statistic that said that, that, that male students that are between the ages of 8 and 16 view pornography while doing homework 90% of the time. I was, I was staggered by that, I guess because oftentimes homework is done via a computer or some type of device that has access to the Internet. And as I think about that, I think about how our culture has so shifted into accepting these secret sins. Viewing pornography, is, it can be such an individual experience for someone. But the reality is that if we're... If we're going to follow Jesus, if we're going to follow Him, we have to recognize that this will not be possible with sin present and overwhelming in our lives. So maybe, maybe you're here today, and, and maybe that is a struggle for you. And the, I guess the, the thing that I want to encourage you with is I have been able to, to share with, with individuals that, that that type of sin is something that that must be communicated to someone else that you can trust if there is ever going to be uh, victory in that type of condition. So as we think about these things, if we truly love the Lord, if, we, if our life is surrendered to Him, we will be following His commands. Again, it doesn't mean that we're going to be perfect. Oftentimes, you could even be considered a legalist. The reality is that one of the things that's missing in so many churches is a hunger and a thirst for holiness and righteousness. Too many churches nowadays are, are glossing over sin and they want, to, they want to live under the banner of grace. And, and listen, grace is a beautiful thing. But there's also judgment and wrath. And one of the things that God intends for those that follow Him is to... Because the Holy Spirit lives in us, we have, we have the propensity to overcome sin because the Holy Spirit dwells in us. And we should take great courage in that. The kingdom of darkness wants our lives sinful so that we can't be used by God. One of the things that I recognize in going back and reading through the Old Testament is that every character in the Old Testament had some major flaw in their life. And when they responded to that, when they, when they repented of that, God, God used them and used them in a mighty way. You can go through biblical character after biblical character after biblical character and see that. But we also have to recognize that following Christ requires earthly sacrifice. 
You see, Jesus is obviously not at home in this world. Look at verse 8, verse 58. It says, And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. You see, Jesus is not home in this world. And if we're following Jesus, one of the things that we have to make sure is that we understand that we're not at home in this world. This is what I struggle with greatly. I struggle with a nice, comfortable life. I struggle with a life that affords me the opportunity to be able to enjoy a home and a family, to be able to go to the local grocery stores or Walmart. And if, I, if there's a need that I have, I can go and I can, I can have that need met. But the reality is that if I'm honest, there's a lot of times where I am just a little bit too in love with my life here on this earth. And I begin to really treat this life here on this earth as, as my home. This is, this is just a, a small dash, a small dot in eternity. In this time that we are here, we have the opportunity to prepare for an eternal home. It's not here, but it's in the heavens. So as we think about this, we have to recognize that Christ requires an earthly sacrifice. And each of us has to ask ourselves, what is that? Because it's not necessarily the same for each of us. It's not like a cookie-cutter approach. It's one of the things that in our response time that, that we need to be able to give a response for. Father, what is it that you may be burdening my heart to give up? What is it that maybe I just enjoy a little too much? Matthew Henry says, following Christ should cause us to count on a life of poverty and meekness. 2 Corinthians 5.1 further proves this. Paul, writing to the church at Corinth, he says, For we know that if that tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. He goes on in 2 Corinthians 8.9, he says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake... He became poor so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. You see, Christ, as he's teaching these followers, he's teaching us. And we should be drawn in to this reality that if we're going to follow him, we've got to just like, put, like push the pause button for a second and really ask ourselves, how does our life if someone were to view our life through a lens, how does our life look like we're following Jesus? One of the greatest accounts of this is found in 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. It says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. So as we think about that, following Christ means that we have to surrender our life to Him. Secondly, Jesus, the gospel, must be our priority. The gospel must be our priority. Let's look at it. In verse 59, he says, To another he said, Follow me, but he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. The response that Jesus gives here, he says, Leave the dead to bury their own dead, but as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. 
One of the things we have to recognize is that phrase where he says, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Notice, notice that if you have an ESV, that's in quotes. And so this is a direct quotation from something that this disciple said. This was a very common phrase. And what this means in deeper study is it wasn't that Jesus didn't want this individual to go and bury their father. But what we recognize is this was a phrase that was very customary among the Jews in this day and age. And the reason that they said that is because it wasn't even that this individual's father was dead or even near death, but what it means is, hey, I really need to be able to be here so I can get my inheritance from my father. So as we think about that, we think about, is the gospel a priority? For this particular disciple, the priority was the inheritance. You see... We see that Jesus, he, he calls this disciple. John 15, 16, he says, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. You see, God, for those of us in this room that are born again, he has called us to himself for his divine purpose for our lives. And I think that that is great because like each person in this room has a, has a different talent, a different area of giftedness. And it is by knowing that talent or knowing that giftedness that we can be used by God to reach others that share those same areas of giftedness. I have a dear friend of mine. He is extremely talented when it comes to music. Me, not so much. But the only thing when we get together and we have conversation, literally the only thing that we have in common is our bond through Jesus. And that, that is what bonds our very friendship. It's one of the great things about being able to come together as a body of believers and celebrate who God is and what God has accomplished. 2 Peter 3.9 says this, that the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but he is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. If he is not slow and he desires those to reach repentance because of our great love, because we are following him, because the gospel must be our priority, then our, our number one challenge and our number one goal in our life should be able to verbally and physically demonstrate the good news of Jesus. You see, there should be no earthly desire that should be above the will of God. I have an older gentleman that's a good friend of mine, and God has used him so much in my life, and he has used him so much in the lives of some of the students and families that that I had the opportunity to minister to. And one of the things that he says, he asks people all the time, he said, you know, what do you think God's will is for your life? Or someone will ask him, they'll say, Mr. John, what, what do you think God's will is for my life? And Mr. John responds that the will of God for our lives is to do his will right now. To do his will right now. It's an immediate response for what God has called us to do. I think about going on mission with him. I think about being able to go, to go to Thailand or go to Zimbabwe or being able to go to Rome or, or wherever churches 
go for mission trips internationally. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't say anywhere to, like, delay going or, or, you know, go when it's convenient or it just says, it just says to go. question that we can ask ourselves is, are we, are we going in our community? Are we going in our state? Are we going in our nation? And are we going globally? We must not allow anything to stand in the way of our service to him and to following him. So we can ask ourselves, you know, what, what will this look like in your life? You know, my, my desire is to be able to encourage you. And I think sometimes when we come together, it's very easy to say, well, what is this guy talking about? Like, he just wants me to go and do something. But, but that's what God calls us to do. God calls us to his will. And I think when we have an opportunity to come together in a setting like this, then there is the opportunity to respond. Like some of you sitting here today, maybe you came this morning with anticipation some of you may came this morning maybe because your wife drove you or, or vice versa, but, but you, you should come with a level of anticipation to hear from the Lord. And maybe right now, maybe the Holy Spirit is prompting you to, to give a response, to say, Father, I have put you off in this area of my life. I have, I have put you off with, with how you have gifted me. I don't want to do that anymore. I want to be able to embrace your will for my life. You know, I think back to that time whenever I was at FedEx. You know, I can remember my wife, Jennifer, she's with me. And I can remember as I was walking through all that God was doing in my life and in our life as a family, the only thing that I could verbalize to, to my wife was that, that God wanted me to do more for him. This went on for like three years. It was like I, I, would, I, would, I would take on a different responsibility, and it was like there, there's, there's something more. There, there, there's something more that he had for me. And it was over about a three-year span where it became very obvious that, that the more he had for me was not tied to FedEx Express. Ecclesiastes 11.9 says, Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart, in the sight of your eyes, but know that for all these things God will bring you into judgment. Not only is He going to gift you and He's going he's to give you a ministry to either lead out in or be involved in, but as you follow Him, as you make the gospel a priority in your life, He is going to, he's going to provide that for you, but also know that when we are not obedient, if we truly are born again and we are just going we're, we're gonna to stiffen our necks against Him, there's going to be consequences for that also. So as we think about these two observations, following Christ means that you have a surrendered life to Him. Not only that, but the gospel must be our priority. The last observation from this text is that the cost is immediate in constant obedience to him. Let's look at it. He says in 61, Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back 
is fit for the kingdom of God. Mm. We see this would-be disciple, he's he's prioritizing his needs of his family in his home over following Jesus. I've caught myself doing doing this very thing uh, yesterday. I had the opportunity to be able to go on a short-term mission trip here in about a week to Honduras, and I was thinking yesterday, okay, I've got to make sure that these things are all done so that I can, so, so that my family is taken care of, and, and I can go and I can, and I can lead in this mission trip. And again, nothing wrong with that, but if that was my priority above preparing my own heart for what God has for me, then, then we have an issue. Plowing is in order to sowing. You catch that? In order to be able to plow a field, you got to plow it before you sow it. As those who are not fit to be sown with divine comforts, whose fallow ground is not first broken up. You know, maybe you're here today, and maybe, you're, maybe your heart has grown hard to who God is or to His Word. Maybe your heart needs to be plowed up. You know, one of the things that I was able to glean, we had life action at our church a couple of years ago. And one of the things, and, and I, this, this was just a verse that stood out to me from Hosea 10, 12. It says, sow for yourselves righteousness, reap steadfast love, break up your fallow ground, for it is the time to seek the Lord that he may come and rain righteousness upon you. River Bend, that is, that, that is you. That is, that is me. Like everybody goes through a season where their heart maybe is hardened or their neck is stiffened to the Lord. But the great thing about a relationship with Him is He just, he just wants you to come back. He just wants you to follow Him. You know, I, I, try, to, I, try, to, I try to say this a lot, but, but Christ gave His life for the church. And when we are a part of the things of God, when we are a part of His church, like we get to be a part of something that is so much bigger than anything we could ever do as individuals. It is a wonderful opportunity to be involved in the things of God. I think about some of the things that were even mentioned this morning. And I would just go out on a limb and say this, but these men that are up here that are helping lead small groups, like I bet you that there's probably more men that are needed to do that. You can never have enough men that are wanting to lead small groups because you have to prepare. I mean, you guys come because you, you believe that God is here and that God is going to do a magnificent work here. And so ultimately, that lo- what does that look like? That looks like people are going to come to these doors and people are going to be radically saved. And so when that happens, you're going to need more small groups to plug these ones that are coming to be saved. You're going to need more small groups to plug them into. Some of you men, maybe you've been asked, maybe you haven't, but I bet you that if you were to come and you were to tell Brian, look, I really would like to help lead a small group. I, I can promise you that they will find, I bet you they will find you a group that you can connect with or that you could probably connect with some people to your group. I mean, what, what, a, what a blessing that could be. Just remember that the, the desire and the cost is immediate and constant obedience. When Life Action was with us a couple of years ago, and they would share they, they, in the response time, there would be a call for immediate response. Whatever the Holy Spirit is prompting you to do, 
You need to respond to that. If you walk through these doors, if you know that God is leading you to be involved in this church, maybe it's join this church. If God is leading you to do that, if you leave these doors and you don't do that, then that, that desire, that, that sometimes when your heart starts beating a little bit faster during the invitation, when you get out those doors, you can kind of push that away. You can subtly move that away. And again, I don't know each of your situations. I know this is a wonderful church. It's a wonderful opportunity to be involved. And I know that all of this is related, that there is a cost to being born again. There is a cost to being his disciple. You see, I was preaching through Colossians this past Wednesday, and and Colossians talks about the hope in Jesus. Like as we're here today, that's got to be where our hope lies. Our hope has to be in him. Our hope is not in man. It's not in the things that are offered in this world. Our hope has to be in him. So how will you connect with River Bend? How will you plug in to River Bend? How will you further in your walk with him? He talks about in that verse, he says that no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Looking back means to begin an activity that requires close attention, but then to change one's own mind about proceeding. It's very easy to jump into that relationship with Jesus and not really weigh the cost because it is costly. Salvation is is free to whosoever will. But that life being dedicated to him, it's going to cost you something on this side of heaven. So as our praise team gets ready to come up, I want to just ask you a few questions as we have a time to respond. You know, the great thing about illustrations like, like plowing and sowing, the great thing about that, like when you plow, if, you, if you're plowing and you ever look back, then that row is going to get off course. Some of you are here today, and maybe God is calling you to repentance. Maybe there is a sin in your life that he is burdening your heart with. Maybe he is calling you to repent of that sin. Maybe, maybe he wants you to join River Bend. Maybe he wants you to be a part of this church. Maybe you've been visiting here for a number of months. Maybe today is the day that you would like to move forward in becoming a member of River Bend. What is the condition of your heart this morning? Is your plow plowing straight? Are you prepared to walk in obedience with what God is calling you to? So as the praise team comes up, I want to pray over you. I want to give you an opportunity to respond to the invitation. Brother Clay is going to come forward, and he's going to be here. If anyone would like to come forward, if you'd like to become a member of Riverbend Church, if you'd like to be more involved at Riverbend Church, I want you to feel the freedom to be able to respond. Maybe you're here today and maybe, maybe you have just somehow, maybe you've looked back. Maybe you've gotten, maybe your row is, is crooked. Maybe it seems like all hope is lost. This would be a great opportunity. Whether you want to share specifics of that or maybe you just would like to come forward and have either Brother Clay or, or myself pray for you, would love to give you the opportunity to do that as well.
Maybe you're here today and maybe you don't know. Maybe you have never surrendered your life to Christ before. Maybe today is your day. Maybe today is a day that you say, God, not my will, but your will. Let's stand. Let me pray for you. Father God, we love you. Lord, I thank you so much for today. God, I thank you so much for the vision of River Bend Church. God, I thank you so much for Pastor Brian. Lord, I pray that you would heal him quickly. Father, I pray for this wonderful church family. God, I pray for the wonderful work that you are doing here. God, but I also know that, Lord, that we are fleshly, we are people, we are on this side, obviously, of eternity. Father, so I pray for someone that is here this morning that is not born again. Father, that is not saved. Lord, their palms are sweating, God. Their heart is beating fast, Lord. They have, maybe they've pushed you away countless times. But Father, this morning could be the morning of salvation for someone. Lord, would they be willing to come? God, bend their knee before you. God, speak with Brother Clay or myself. God, surrender their lives to you. God, your word tells us that if we, God, will believe in our heart and confess with our mouth, Lord, that you are who you say you are and your son did what, what he did on the cross, Lord, that we can be saved. Lord, I pray that we can respond to that. Lord, maybe it is someone that desires membership here. God, may they have the freedom to respond to that, Lord. Maybe it's someone, God, that just needs prayer. This time is for the congregation. Lord, may we bring you glory and honor and praise. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.